Good evening and welcome to this edition of the Legacy of Queens for Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. And I'm your host, Jason DiCanio. We welcome you once again to the 89th episode of our fantastic series in its fourth season. And hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving as well as we now move into December and getting ready for Christmas. Well, tonight on our program, we're tributing a gentleman who had a fantastic career and he did a lot in his time. In fact, he is an American playwright, screenwriter and author. He wrote more than 30 plays and nearly the same number of movie screenplays, mostly film adaptations of his plays. And he has received three Tony Awards and a Golden Globe, as well as nominations for four Academy Awards, four Primetime Emmys. He was also awarded a Special Tony Award in 1975, the Kennedy Center Honors in 1995, and the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor in 2006. He also grew up during the Great Depression, and he's known for all including The Odd Couple in 1965, the Broadway show, Barefoot in the Park. He also has a theater named after him. Who are we talking about? Well, we lost him back in 2018 at the age of 91, but he was born and raised in the Bronx to Jewish parents. We're talking about Marvin Neil Simon tonight on The Legacy of Queens. It's Sunday evening, and this is December 3rd, 2023, and I'm your host, Jason DiCanio, for the 89th episode of The Legacy of Queens. Well, Neil Simon was born on July 4th, 1927, in the Bronx, New York City, to Jewish parents. His father, Irving Simon, was a garment salesman, and his mother, Mammy Levy Simon, was mostly a homemaker. Neil had one brother, eight years, his senior television writer and comedy teacher, Danny Simon, and he grew up in Washington Heights, Manhattan, and graduated from DeWitt Clinton High School when he was 16. He was nicknamed Doc, and the school yearbook described him as extremely shy. Simon's childhood was marked by his parents' tempestuous marriage and the financial hardship caused by the Depression. Sometimes at night he blocked out their arguments by putting a pillow over his ears. His father often abandoned the family for months at a time, causing them further financial and emotional suffering. And as a result, the family took in boarders, and Simon and his brother Danny were sometimes forced to live with different relatives. Well, during an interview with writer Lawrence Grobel, Simon said, To this day, I never really knew what the reason for all the fights and battles were about between the two of them. She'd hate him and be very angry, but he would come back and she would take him back. She really loved him. Simon has said that one of the reasons he became a writer was to fulfill a need to be independent of such emotional and family issues. A need he recognized when he was seven or eight. I'd better start taking care of myself somehow. It made me strong as an independent person. 
I think part of what made me a comedy writer is the blocking out of some of the really ugly, painful things in my childhood and covering it up with a humorous attitude, doing something to laugh until I was able to forget what was hurting. He was able to do that at the movies in the work of stars like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Laurel and Hardy. I was constantly being dragged out of movies for laughing too loud. Simon acknowledged these childhood films as his inspiration. I wanted to make a whole audience fall onto the floor, writhing and laughing so hard that some of them pass out. He made writing comedy his long-term goal and also saw it as a way to connect with people. I was never going to be an athlete or a doctor. And he began writing for pay while still in high school. At the age of 15, Simon and his brother created a series of comedy sketches for employees at an annual department store event. To help develop his writing skill, he often spent three days a week at the library reading books by famous humorists such as Mark Twain, Robert Benchley, George S. Kaufman, and S.J. Perelman. Soon after graduating from high school, he signed up with the Army Air Force Reserve at New York University, and he attained the rank of corporal and was eventually sent to Colorado. During those years in the reserve, Simon wrote professionally, starting out as a sports editor, and he was assigned to Lowry Air Force Base during 1945 and attended the University of Denver from 1945 to 46. Simon quit his job as a mailroom clerk in the Warner Brothers offices in Manhattan to write radio and television scripts with his brother Danny Simon, under the tutelage of radio humorist Goodman Ace, who ran a short-lived writing workshop for CBS. Their work for the radio series, The Robert Q. Lewis Show, led to other writing jobs. Max Lieben hired the duo for the writing team of his popular television comedy series, Your Show of Shows. The program received Emmy Award nominations for Best Variety Show in 51, 52, 53, and 54, and one in, and one in 52 and 53. Simon later wrote scripts for the Phil Silver Shows for episodes broadcasting during 1958 and 59. Simon later recalled the importance of these two writing jobs to his career. Between the two of them, I spent five years and learned more about what I was eventually going to do than in any other previous experience. I knew when I walked into your show of shows that was that this was the most talented group of writers that up until that time had ever been assembled together. Simon described a typical writing session. There were about seven writers, plus Sid, Carl Reiner, and Howie Morris. Mel Brooks and maybe Woody Allen would write one of the other sketches. Everyone would pitch in and rewrite, so we all had a part of it. It was probably the most enjoyable time I ever had in writing with other people. He incorporated some of these experiences into his play Laughter on the 23rd Floor in 1993, and a 2001 TV adaptation of the play won him two Emmy Award nominations. His first Broadway experience was was on Catch a Star in 1955. He collaborated on sketches with his brother Danny. In 1961, Simon's first Broadway play, Come Blow Your Horn, ran for 678 performances at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. Simon took three years to create that first play, partly because he was also working on television scripts. He rewrote it at least 20 times from beginning to end. It was the lack of belief in myself, he recalled. I said, this isn't good enough. It's not right. It was the equivalent of three years of college. Besides being a monumental effort for Simon, that play was a turning point in his career. The theater and I discovered each other. Well, Barefoot in the Park in 63 and The Odd Couple in 1965, for which he won a Tony Award, 
brought him national celebrity. And he was considered the hottest new playwright on Broadway, according to Susan Coprince. Those successes were followed by others. And during 1966, Simon had four shows playing simultaneously at Broadway theaters. Sweet Charity, The Star-Spangled Girl, The Odd Couple, and Barefoot in the Park. These earned him royalties of $1 million a year, and his professional association with producer Emanuel Eisenberg began with The Sunshine Boys and continued with The Good Doctor, God's Favorite, Chapter 2, They're Playing Our Song, I Ought to Be in Pictures, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, Broadway Bound, Jake's Woman, The Goodbye Girl, and Laughter on the 23rd Floor, among others, and his work ranged from romantic comedies to serious drama. Overall, he received 17 Tony nominations and won three awards. Simon also adapted material originated by others, such as the musical Little Me in 62, based on the novel by Patrick Dennis, Sweet Charity in 66 from the screenplay from for the film Knights of Cabria in 57, written by Federico Fellini and others, and Promises, Promises, the 1968 a musical version of Billy Wilder's film, The Apartment. By the time of Last of the Red Hot Lovers in 1969, Simon was reputedly earning $45,000 a week from his shows, excluding sale of rights, making him the most financially successful Broadway writer ever. He also served as an uncredited script doctor, helping to hone the books of Broadway-bound plays or musicals under development, as he did for a chorus line in 75. Well, during the 70s, he wrote a string of successful plays. Sometimes more than one was playing at the same time to standing room-only audiences. Although he was by then recognized as one of the country's leading playwrights, and his inner drive kept him writing. Did I relax and watch my boyhood ambitions being fulfilled before my eyes? Not if you were born in the Bronx, in the Depression, and Jewish, you don't. Simon drew extensively on his own life and experience from his stories. His settings are typically working-class New York City neighborhoods, similar to the ones in which he grew up. In 1983, he began writing the first of three autobiographical plays, Brighton Beach Memoirs in 83, which would be followed by Biloxi Blues in 85, and Broadway Bound in 1986. He received his greatest critical acclaim for this trilogy, and he received a Pulitzer Prize for his follow-up play, Lost in Yonkers, 1991, which starred Mercedes Rule and was a success on Broadway. Following Lost in Yonkers, Simon's next several plays did not meet with commercial success. The Dinner Party in 2000, which starred Henry Winkler and John Ritter, was a modest hit. Simon's final play, Rose's Dilemma, premiered in 2003 and received poor reviews. Simon is credited as playwright and contributing writer to at least 49 Broadway plays. Simon chose not to write the screenplay for the first film adaptation of his work, Come Blow Your Horn, in 1963, preferring to focus on his playwriting. However, he was disappointed with the picture and thereafter tried to control the conversion of his works. He wrote screenplays for more than 20 films and received four Academy Award nominations for The Odd Couple, The Sunshine Boys, The Goodbye Girl, and California Suite. Other movies include The Out of Towners in 70 and Murder by Death in 76. Although most of his films were successful, movies were always of secondary importance to his plays. I always feel more like a writer when I'm writing a play because of the tradition of the theater. There is no tradition of the screenwriter unless he is also the director, which makes him an auteur. So I really feel that I'm writing for posterity with plays, which have been around since the Greek times. Many of his earlier adaptations of his own work were very similar to the original plays. Simon observed in hindsight 
I really didn't have an interest in films then. I was mainly interested in continuing writing for the theater. The plays never became cinematic. The Odd Couple in 68 was one highly successful early adaptation, faithful to the stage play, but also opened out with more scenic variety. The key aspect most consistent in Simon's writing style is comedy, situational and verbal, and presents serious subjects in a way that makes audiences laugh to avoid weeping. He achieved this with rapid-fire jokes and wisecracks in a wide variety of urban settings and stories. This creates a sophisticated urban humor, says editor Kimball King, and results in plays that represent middle America. Simon created every day, apparently simple conflicts with his stories, which became comical premises for problems which needed to be solved. Another feature of his writing is his adherence to traditional values regarding marriage and family. McGovern states that this thread of the monogamous family runs through most of Simon's work and is one he feels is necessary to give stability to society. Some critics have therefore described his stories as somewhat old-fashioned, although Johnson points out that most members of his audiences are delighted to find Simon upholding their own beliefs. And where infidelity is the theme in a Simon play, rarely, if ever, do those characters gain happiness. In Simon's eyes, adds Johnson, divorce is never a victory. Another aspect of Simon's style, in his ability to combine both comedy and drama, Barefoot in the Park, for example, is a light romantic comedy, while portions of Plaza Suite were written as farce and portions of California Suite are high comedy. Simon was willing to experiment and take risks, risks, often moving his plays in new and unexpected directions. In The Gingerbread Lady, he combined comedy with tragedy. Rumors in 1988 is a full-length farce. In Jack's Women and Brighton Beach Memoirs, he used dramatic narration. In The Good Doctor, he created a pastiche of sketches around various stories by Chekhov, and Fools in 1981 was written as a fairy tale romance similar to stories by Sholem Alkamin. Although some of these efforts failed to win approval from many critics, Coprince claims that they nonetheless demonstrate Simon's seriousness as a playwright and his interest in breaking new ground. His characters are typically imperfect, unheroic figures who are at heart decent human beings, according to Coprince, and she traces Simon's style of comedy back to that of Meander, a playwright of ancient Greece. Meander, like Simon, also used average people in domestic life settings and also blended humor and tragedy into his themes. Many of Simon's most memorable plays are built around two character scenes, as in segments of California Suite and Plaza Suite. Before writing, Simon tried to create an image of his characters. He said that the play Star-Spangled Girl, which was a box office failure, was the only play I ever wrote where I did not have a clear visual image of the characters in my mind as I sat down at the typewriter. He considered character building an obligation, stating that the trick is to do it skillfully. While other writers have created vivid characters, they have not created nearly as many as Simon did. Simon has no peers among contemporary comedy playwrights, stated biographer Robert Johnson. His characters often amuse the audience with sparkling zingers, made believable by Simon's skillful writing of dialogue. He reproduces speech so adroitly that his characters are usually plausible and easy for audiences to identify with and laugh at. His characters may also express serious and continuing concerns of mankind rather than purely topical material. McGovern notes that his characters are always impatient with phoniness, with shallowness, 
with amorality, adding that they sometimes express implicit and explicit criticism of modern urban life with its stress, its vocity, and its materialism. However, Simon's characters are never seen thumbing their noses at society. Theater critic John Lahr believes that Simon's primary theme is the silent majority, many of whom are frustrated, edgy, and insecure. Simon's characters are likable and easy for audiences to identify with. They often have difficult relationships in marriage, friendship, or business as they struggle to find a sense of belonging. And according to biographer Edith McGovern, there is always an implied seeking for solutions to human problems through relationships with other people. And Simon is able to deal with serious topics of universal and enduring concern while still making people laugh. McGovern adds that one of Simon's hallmarks is his great compassion for his fellow human beings, an opinion shared by author Alan Cooper, who observes that Simon's plays are essentially about friendships, even when they are about marriage or siblings or crazy aunts. And many of Simon's plays are set in New York City, with a resulting urban flavor. Within that setting, Simon's themes include marital conflict, infidelity, sibling rivalry, adolescence, bereavement, and fear of aging. And despite the serious nature of these ideas, Simon always manages to tell the stories with humor, embracing both realism and comedy. He would tell aspiring comedy playwrights not to try to make it funny, try and make it real, and then the comedy will come. When I was writing plays, he said, I was almost always, with some exceptions, writing a drama that was funny. I wanted to tell a story about real people. Simon explained how he managed this combination. My view is, how sad and funny life is, I can't think of a humorous situation that does not involve some pain. I used to ask, what is a funny situation? Now I ask, what is a sad situation, and how can I tell it humorously? His comedies often portray struggles with marital difficulties or fading love, sometimes leading to separation, divorce, and child custody issues. And after many twists in the plot, the endings typically show renewal of the relationships. Politics seldom plays in Simon's stories, and his characters avoid confronting society as a whole, despite their personal problems. Simon is simply interested in showing human beings as they are, with their, for their fables, eccentricities, and absurdities. Drama critic Richard Etter noted that Simon's popularity relies on his ability to portray a painful comedy, where characters say and do funny things in extreme contrast to the unhappiness they are feeling. Simon's plays are generally semi-autobiographical, often portraying aspects of his troubled childhood and first marriages. According to Coprince, Simon's play also invariably depict the plight of white middle-class Americans, most of whom are New Yorkers and many of whom are Jewish like himself. He has said, I suppose you could practically trace my life through my plays. In Lost in Yonkers, Simon suggests that necessity of a loving marriage, as opposed to his parents, and how children who are deprived of it in their home end up emotionally damaged and lost. According to Coprince, Simon's Jewish heritage is a key influence on his work, although he is unaware of it when writing. For example, in the Brighton Beach trilogy... She explains, the lead character is a master of self-deprecating humor, cleverly poking fun at himself and at, his, and at his Jewish culture as a whole. Simon himself has said that his characters are people who are often self-deprecating and who usually see life from the grimmest point of view, explaining, I see humor in even the grimmest of situations, and I think it's possible to write a play so moving it can tear you apart and still have humor in it. 
This theme in writing, notes Coprince, belongs to a tradition of Jewish humor, humor, <laughs> humor, a tradition which values laughter as a defense mechanism and which sees humor as a healing, life-giving force. During most of his career, Simon's work received mixed reviews, with many critics admiring his comedy skills, much of it a blend of humor and pathos. Other critics were less complimentary, noting that much of his dramatic structure was weak and sometimes relied too heavily on gags and one-liners. And as a result, notes Coprince, literary scholars had generally ignored Simon's early work, regarding him as a commercially successful playwright rather than a serious dramatist. Clive Barnes, theater critic for the New York Times, wrote that, like his British counterpart, Noel Coward, Simon was destined to spend most of his career underestimated, but nonetheless very popular. This attitude changed after 1991 when he won a Pulitzer Prize for drama with Lost in Yonkers. McGovern writes that seldom has even the most astute critic recognized with what depths really exist in the plays of Neil Simon. When Lost in Yonkers was considered by the Pulitzer Advisory Board, board member Douglas Watt noted that it was the only play nominated by all five jury members and that the, they judged it a mature work by an enduring and often undervalued American playwright. McGovern compares Simon with noted earlier playwrights, including Ben Johnson, Moliere, and George Bernard Shaw, pointing out that those playwrights had successfully raised fundamental and sometimes tragic issues of universal and therefore enduring interest without eschewing the comic mode. She concludes, It is my firm conviction that Neil Simon should be considered a member of this company, an invitation long overdue. McGovern attempts to explain the response of many critics. Above all, his plays, which may appear simple to those who never look beyond the fact that they are amusing, are, in fact, frequently more perceptive and revealing of the human condition than many plays labeled complex dramas. Also, literary critic Robert Johnson explains that Simon's plays have given us a rich variety of entertaining, memorable characters who portray the human experience, often with serious themes. And although his characters are more lifelike, more complicated, and more interesting than most of the characters audiences see on stage, Simon has not received as much critical attention as he deserves. Lawrence Grobel, in fact, calls him the Shakespeare of his time and possibly the most successful playwright in history. He states, Broadway critic Walter Kerr tries to rationalize why Simon's work has been underrated, because Americans have always tended to underrate writers who make them laugh. Neil Simon's accomplishment have not gained as much serious critical praise as they deserve. His best comedies contain not only a host of funny lines, but numerous memorable characters and an incisively dramatized set of beliefs that are not without merit. Simon is, in fact, one of the finest writers of comedy in American literary history. Simon was married five times, and for 20 years, from 53 to 73, he was married to Joan Bame, a Martha Graham dancer, and had two daughters, Nancy and Ellen, with her. Simon became a widower in 73 when Baum died of bone cancer at age 41. Ellen was 16 and her sister Nancy just 10 at the time. Ellen's semi-autobiographical play was filmed as Moonlight and Valentino. Simon married actress Marcia Mason from 73 to 83 that same year. After his divorce from Mason, he married actress Diane Lander two separate times, 87 to 88 and 90 to 98. He adopted Bryn, Lander's daughter, from a previous relationship. His subsequent marriage to actress Elaine Joyce in 1999 lasted until his death. Simon's nephew and U.S. 
is Simon's nephew is U.S. District Judge Michael H. Simon, and his niece-in-law is U.S. Congresswoman Suzanne Bonamici. He was on the Board of Selectors of Jefferson Awards for Public Service. 2004, he received a kidney transplant from his longtime friend and publicist Bill Evans. And unfortunately, he died from pneumonia at New York Presbyterian Hospital in Manhattan on August 26, 2018, while hospitalized for kidney failure. He was 91, and he also had Alzheimer's disease. He held three honorary degrees, a Doctor of Humane Letters from Hofstra, a Doctor of Letters from Marquette University, and a Doctor of Law from Williams College. In 1983, he became the only living playwright to have a New York City theater named after him. The Alvin Theater on Broadway was renamed the Neil Simon Theater in his honor, and he was an honorary Board of Trustees member of the Walnut Street Theater, Philadelphia, America's oldest theater. Also in 83, he was inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. 65, he won the Tony Award for Best Playwright for The Odd Couple, and in 75, a special Tony Award for his overall contribution to American theater. He won the 1978 Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture Screenplay for The Goodbye Girl. For Brighton Beach Memoirs, he was awarded the New York Drama Critics Circle Award, followed by another Tony for Best Play of 1985, Biloxi Blues. In 1991, he won the Pulitzer Prize along with the Tony Award for Lost in Yonkers. The Neil Simon Festival is a professional summer repertory theater devoted to preserving the works of Simon and his contemporaries. The festival was founded by Richard Dean Bug in 2003. And in 2006, Simon received the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And there you have it. Terrific stuff. A long history spanning almost eight decades worth of work. Right up until his passing at the age of 91. Thank you, Neil Simon, for all you've done in your field to help us learn and understand what writing is all about for important Broadway shows that people go to watch and enjoy on Broadway on 42nd Street. Neil Simon, a legacy in his own right. Next week on the program, episode 90, we'll look at the man who basically was the American actor, stand-up comedian, director, screenwriter, and author whose career spanned seven decades. He was the recipient of many awards and honors, including 11 primetime Emmys, a Grammy, and the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And he was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1990. You've probably seen him with uh, working with Sid Caesar and Caesar's Hour, riding alongside Mel Brooks and Neil Simon and Woody Allen. And he teamed up with Brooks and... Together, they released several iconic comedy albums, beginning with 2,000 Years with himself and Mel Brooks. He was also the creator and producer of The Dick Van Dyke Show, which ran from 61 to 66, and which he also produced and acted in. Remember, we did Rob Reiner? Well, we're going to do his father next Sunday on episode 90 of The Legacy of Queens. Carl Reiner passed away at the age of 98 back in 2020. Bronx, New York is where he's been, where he was born. We'll look at Carl, Carl Reiner next week on the program. Thank you again for joining me. I'm Jason DeCanio. Remember, be honest, be real, and always remember to keep it simple, stupid. Yes. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. And don't forget, of course, to uh, keep us up to date. And, of course, join us for DMS 3000 News Live all this week on the David 3000 Network. Good night. <laughs>